Thank you to BrowserStack for sponsoring our upcoming podcast. BrowserStack is the world's largest software testing platform, powering over 2 million tests every day across 15 global data centers on more than 2,000 real devices. With BrowserStack, dev and QA teams can move fast whilst delivering an amazing experience for every customer. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Testers Island Discs. It's episode 38, and today I am joined by James Thomas. Uh, James is the head of testing at Linguamatics, uh, based in Cambridge, who I've met some of your staff before at uh, various meetups and stuff, and they're all very lovely people. Um, he's also on the board of directors for AST or the Association of Software Testing. Uh, but more importantly, and how I kind of know him most, is he's the master of awful puns on Twitter. So firstly, welcome, James. Welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you very much. So the second question would be, why the puns? There's a couple of reasons. One, the first one, the major one is, uh, I just love really tortured wordplay. Uh, the cornier the pun, the, the more I like it. Um, but the second mm. reason is a sort of testing related one. And that is that I use uh, creating the puns. You, you'd have noticed they always come in threes as um, a kind of drill to keep myself creative. So if I come up with a pun, I'll tweet it, and then I'll try and come up with two more that are similar in some respect, so they're on the same theme or they have the same structure or the same rhyming pattern or something like that. Uh, and I think that's useful to, uh, as I say, be creative, to find alternative perspectives on things and so on. It's kind of related to uh, Jerry Weinberg's Rule of Three. So it's, it's interesting because um, we obviously met before we recorded this to sort of plan out what we were going to talk about. And you told me about the, the rule of three. So now every time I see it on Twitter, I do see the rule of three. And I've got to admit, actually, I, I now look at them in a different light. And uh. I'm sort of like, yeah, I like what you've done there. Like I can see the theme across the three and, and the stuff like that. But also sort of in that weird way when someone mentions like a type of car and then all you can ever see is that car. Um, the rule of three keeps appearing everywhere. Um, so it's been mentioned a lot in some training courses that I've been sort of involved with lately. And I've seen some other people doing some rule of three stuff. It's it's quite spooky. So I think you've, you've summoned like that rule into sort of, I don't know, my context at the moment, which is odd. Oh, well, I think you should be uh, grateful to me because it's actually a really powerful <laughs> tool. Well, yeah. So like, how do you... So obviously it's it's a cool thing to practice, but like how do you use that in like work or in your sort of day-to-day -day life? That, that, that's a great question. Um, when I'm testing, I'll be looking for alternative ways to explain stuff that I can see. Uh, and when I've chosen one, I'll be looking for three ways that it might not be right. And I find that that helps me to more often get more quickly to a reasonable solution. So it's kind of uh, give myself a space of things to choose from uh, for explanations and then give myself a space to explore what, how that might be faulty. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I am doing a lot of product owning at Ministry of Testing at the moment because we're making changes to the dojo and stuff. And I've actually started applying that rule of three there as well. So thinking about problems that we want to solve and then coming up with three different solutions. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think one of the the key things sometimes some people miss out on it, or at least it, in my experience with this, is it it's not necessarily saying the third thing that you come up with is the best thing or the highest of quality, but it's just the activity of having three. So I came up with an idea. The first one didn't really work. The second one I was really happy with, but I still went with the third one. And the third idea wasn't as good as the second, but it made me feel more confident about the second approach as well. Oh yeah, that, I, I see that too. And also uh, by the time you got to three, usually you can think of more. Uh, and sometimes um, some kind of hybrid of two of the things you've thought of will be the best answer. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and I think that was it. That the, the third thing that came into my head was the was an extreme of two, but in the different in a in a different way. Yeah, I, so, I actually yes. I actually did a talk about uh, the relationship between testing and joking at Eurostar in 2015, and that there's a there's a PDF out there which I'm sure I'll add a link to the uh, in the show notes that'll kind of sure. talk talk about the fact that uh, so although the, these puns aren't specifically about this uh, point um testing and joking i think are kind of interestingly related because they're both about uh, violated expectations in a joke you you set up and then sort of pull the rug away from uh, under someone's feet and there's this kind of expectations violated often that's what you're looking for when you're testing as well something that you expect to work one way actually works another way and that can be important yeah so it's that dissonance and that emotive reaction to that dissonance either it it's it's in a, in a joke content context it makes you laugh but in a sort of more bug context or something like that it makes you go and or like be angry or frustrated and that sort of is a clear indicator of something to do more investigation around or something like that oh uh, yeah that's right it's the aha and the haha mm. So did you end up using Alan Partridge um, for teaching that? I should have done, shouldn't I? Uh, as, as, a, as a native Norfolkman, I feel like I'm obliged to bring up Alan Partridge whenever I can. Uh, sadly, what I did for the talk was I had um, a pretty cheesy PowerPoint animation that slid an extra H in front of Aha. <laughs> nice. Cool. All right. So lots to talk about. Um uh, for this podcast, but uh, before we sort of get into some of those topics, uh, you're here obviously to share your five song picks that you're going to take to the island and also a book at the end, which we'll talk about. So let's um, talk about song pick number one. Uh, what is it and why did you choose it? Uh, it's Run DMC and it's from their first album, also called Run DMC. The track is Sucker MCs and I'm holding it now. I've got the album in my hands. I've got all my records here with me uh, today. And oh, I, the wow. stuff that I've chose... Uh, is all things that gives me um, kind of emotional reaction and holding the record uh, is the same. Um, so this track, I mean, it could have been loads because I, I run DMC with my first musical love. Um, this one, because it puts me back in my bedroom, uh, playing me run DMC records uh, to myself. You know, I didn't know anybody else who liked hip hop, but I was just really into this. I think I first heard run DMC on one of the evening shows on Radio 1, it'd be sort of tail end of the 80s, something like that. And although, you know, me uh, living in a black country, <laughs> you know, 15 years old, you know, I've got nothing in mm. common really with um, sort of hip hop, but it just spoke <laughs> to me and it spoke to me in some way that I found um, really engaging. I think I went up Birmingham the next weekend. Uh, I bought uh, Rising L. That was an astonishing album. And then I went back the next couple of weekends and bought the first couple of albums. And uh, it still gives me kind of goose pimples now listening to this stuff. It, it's been really powerful for me, uh, you know, 30 years now. Yeah. 
I'm taking you to death place. One of a kind and for your people's delight and for your sucker MC. This just ain't right because you're biting all your life. You're cheating on your wife. You're walking around town like a hooligan with a knife. You're hanging on the ass. You're chilling with the crew. And everybody knowing what you've been through. Oh, with the one, two, three, three to two, one. My man, Larry Lab, my name's DJ Run. So that was Sucker MCs by Run DMC. So... Uh, James, we've actually, I don't think we've really actually ever properly spoken in person outside of this podcast stuff, but I know that I've been a very terrible person and I've actually applied to the Cambridge Exploratory Workshop on testing a couple of times and then cancelled on you. Um, but I've always heard good things about it. Um, do you want to sort of share a little bit about what it is and kind of how it started? Yeah, sure. Um, Adam. Uh, just like to say, I'm really disappointed that you let me down twice because it's a real nightmare as an organizer uh, when uh, the uh, participants oh, yeah, run out. Um, what, what's cute about uh, it's a, the Cambridge Exploratory Workshop on testing, as you say, and it's very much about uh, testing in Cambridge. Uh, it's a peer workshop uh, along the lines of ones you might have heard of, uh, Lute, uh, Mute, uh, and Jute. Uh, that's London, uh, Midlands, and Dutch Exploratory Workshops on testing. I, I'm, I really modeled it on them. Um, it started because I'd been really enjoying local meetups, but I wanted something that was, we just had the time and space to go into a bit more depth about a topic. Um, so I thought I would set one up, uh, that there wasn't anything like that uh, in Cambridge at the time. So I cast about, I spoke to James Lindsay, um, I think perhaps Vern at the Midlands Exploratory Workshop uh, gave me some information and some of the people from the Dutch workshop. And I kind of got a, a feel for what it might look like. I, you know, having never attended one, I got a feel for what it might be. Uh, and then I set one up. And mm. the first one was, uh, the topic was testing ideas. And there were six, six or seven of us, I think. And I just did everything. I organized the day, I facilitated, I did the sandwiches, you know, absolutely everything. And we, we did it at Linguamatics. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. We were able to go much deeper uh, than you can in a conversation because it's kind of old, old day event. Uh, and in fact, the JIT uh, one, which uh, I was lucky enough to go to uh, this year, was actually a two-day event. Mm. Um, subsequently, uh, other people have helped out. So Chris George uh, volunteered to help, uh, James Coombs and Neil Younger. They've, they've all been part of the organization. And what's it really about? Um, it's facilitated conversation. And uh, we typically, you know, the structure's changed a little bit over time, but the, it's typically four or six short presentations, 10 to 15 minutes, something like that, followed by conversation. And the, the uh, presentations are all on whatever the topic is, but we, we make the topic pretty broad. Uh, and then we just try and talk around it. It's always a testing topic. And we can go as deep as we like, but it's time boxed. And then we move on to the, the next perspective. And typically we'll have some kind of... Uh, bringing all the points together, bringing the threads together at the end. And sometimes you do that through lean coffee or making a mind map or, or, or something. And then we'll have a little retro at the end. And the retro can be a bit about the content, but also about how we run it. And then we take the results of that into the next one. Cool. Um, so some, some of the topics, uh, testing ideas is one. Uh, we had dirty testing secrets last time. Uh, why do we <laughs> test and what is testing anyway? That was quite a fun title. I assume there's links to documents that sort of like the output of each of these workshops as well that we could maybe put in the notes as well for people uh, to look at. Absolutely, yeah. I've tried to summarise the uh, the workshops at the end of um, the end of each one. So, so uh, the cute site has got everybody's abstracts who presented, and my own blog has got the summaries. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll add those all into the resources as well. Like personally, I'm I'm a a big fan of them. And yes, uh, I assure you, it's, it's it's nothing personal. It's just sometimes I say yes to too many things and then realize I haven't balanced it very well. But my first my first ever sort of community based thing was an was was loot the London exploratory workshop and. I think I went up and I gave a talk, like a little bit of a talk, and I thought it was quite formal. So I'd actually prepared a talk and had written it all out and stuff. And I'll never forget, like, it was the first time I ever met Vernon Richardson. He just turned around, I did my piece, and then he said, I think you're doing Agile wrong, mate. <laughs> and um, and he wasn't wrong. <laughs> I was doing it wrong. But it was brilliant because then it, it gave me the impetus to sort of learn more. And that's what I like about them is that they're a place to sort of kind of throw ideas out there and see what sticks and what doesn't and, you know, do it in a way that sort of, it feels like sort of safe and formalized as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, peer is one of the most important parts of it for me. Um, everybody there is a peer and what they're going to say, you should respect at least, you know, begin by respecting what they're going to say, whoever they are. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has come out of our retros over time was that um, it was felt that maybe some people were a bit inhibited from coming because they thought they might have to present. So we, we started mm-hmm. having um, two different kinds of participants, if you like. Uh, you kind of uh, An invite goes out. The, the only criteria for um, being invited is that you've attended some Cambridge meetup around testing in the last six months. So it's, it's pretty broad. Right. And, and that includes your um, tester clinics uh, as well. Um, oh, cool. And we uh, say, uh, when you respond to the invites, you can say, yes, I want to come and I want to present, or yes, I want to come and I won't present, but I promise to participate. And that helped to mm. get less experienced people in. Because that was that was something I was going to ask, is that another aspect which I kind of like about them, but at the same point, it could be thrown as a criticism, is, is that you do tend to see familiar faces. Mm-hmm. And whilst that's nice because there's, there's an element of community feel there and being able to pick their brains in a sort of more detailed fashion, um, yeah, there is this concern about how do you bring sort of new perspectives and and new people on board. So I think it's really cool that you can actually allow people to sort of observe it first before they push their ideas out there and i imagine just because you because you are asked to participate the fact that you're feeding back will give you that confidence in the first place anyway yeah i, th- I think so and we also moved from open discussion very lightly facilitated to something a little bit more formal and we've started using k cards as kind of cut down k cards to ensure that anyone who wants to speak gets to signal that they want to come in and somebody manages the kind of threads of conversation and yeah. we're still working out just how formal we need to be with that because it can sometimes feel a little bit stilted but it definitely lets people in yeah i guess it's 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 a balance with who's who's involved in the actual um, workshop itself so if you've got quite a lot of strong characters with strong opinions then you you sometimes you need that formalization to sort of rein them in but then sometimes you're going to have people who are quite quiet so i've been to ones where nobody's really putting anything forward because nobody feels confident to push forward with things so you want to be a bit more relaxed so that it can just be more of a natural conversation yeah definitely yeah i'll also put a link to k cards um because i think there's a link to them in the show notes as well because uh it's it's an interesting style of um 
organizing conversations, something I actually quite like. And that kind of neatly puts us onto what we're going to talk about next, because they're obviously used for the AST conferences as well for the facilitation stuff, which I've done before. But before we talk about sort of AST and, and your work there, let's talk about song pick number two. Okay, this one is Cable, and the song is Oubliette, and it's from a 10-inch EP called Downlift the Uptrodden on Infectious. Um, I used to be a DJ, uh, by the way, and I, also, I used to DJ and uh, write about music. I did a fanzine for absolutely years. Oh, wow. um, so this 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 record um, again, I get uh, goosebumps when I listen to this. I was I'd been doing I'd been doing music for ages, and I'd become a bit bored by guitar bands. So I've got really Catholic tastes in music. Um, I was getting really <laughs> bored by guitar bands, and I saw Cable probably third on the bill to somebody I can't even remember anymore at some indie club in Reading. I'd gone to stay with my mate in Reading. And they just blew me away. They're absolutely incredible. Uh, at the time, they'd just got a couple of singles out, uh, a couple of uh, singles on a derby bass label. So I, I kind of collected everything. This is back in the days when you couldn't just go online and buy everything, you know, just through mail order and trudging around record shops and that kind of thing. I, I got all the back catalogue. And then I put this out, and it, it's absolutely incredible. I, I hope you enjoy it. So that was Oubliette by Cable. So I hinted before the song um, that, and I mentioned at the start of the podcast as well, that you're on the board of directors for AST. Um, I'd be surprised if there are people, listeners who aren't aware of AST, but just to be sure, do you want to share a little bit about what AST is and what their work is really? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, AST is a professional body for software testers. It's a, a non-profit, we're all volunteers, and its mission is to advance understanding of the science and practice of software testing according to context-driven principles, which sounds like a real mouthful. Um, the, the way I like to gloss it and the way it speaks to me is that we value both expertise and experience when it comes to testing, and generally speaking, we favor context-driven testing too. Although mm. my, my sense is that these days, most people would, even if they're not really no, even if they don't really know the terms, would probably be doing some kind of context-driven testing. I think that, yeah. that the, the proportion of people doing sort of old-school stuff, uh, test cases, and that is is shrinking in, uh, as far as I can see. Anyway, so the Association for Software Testing is that it's it's really about expertise and experience. It's about promoting testing uh, in in the world uh, to testers, for testers, uh, and about testing. So how long have you been with the AST on the directors? Uh, I've been a uh, director since August last year, so so less than a year. Uh, but I've been a member of the AST for 10 years. Mm. Um, when I first became a tester, uh, so I used, to, I used to manage the dev team, but I've, I've done loads of jobs at Lingomatics, but at the time I became a tester, I was managing the dev team. And uh, we decided to set up a test team, so I, I stepped to one side and became the first tester and the test team and the test manager. And I started <laughs> looking around for some books to learn about what testing was. And I got lessons learned in software testing, which uh, I imagine most of the audience here is familiar with. If not, uh, 
familiarize yourself with it immediately. It's by Kem Kainer, James Back, and Brett Petticord. And I was looking into uh, Kem Kainer and James Back, and they were part of the AST, so I looked into the AST. And the way the book spoke about testing kind of aligned with my intuition about how I wanted to test. It's all about context-driven testing. And so the AST looked like the right kind of organization to join, so I did. And then last year, um, I got uh, an unexpected email inviting me to stand for the board, which I'd never really considered in the past. And I thought, well, you know, I'm already putting uh, a lot back into testing. This is a, you know, thinking about it, this is a reasonably logical next step. So mm, I yeah. um, pitched uh, pitched myself for the election and I got elected. So I've been, I've got a title on the board, which is executive at large. I've been executive at large for a year. <laughs> What does that exactly mean? <laughs> it, it, it means I didn't take one of the formal titles, so I'm just one of the others. But executive at large sounds grander, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It, it it sounds yeah exciting, but also vague enough that you can't be pinned down for anything as well. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when I was looking at the board list, I, I did notice that. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting title name. Uh, but I didn't realize that you got to, to, to pick it yourself, um, which is very cool. Uh, no, actually, it was the default. Um, if, if, I didn't oh, take, the if, default. if I didn't take one of the roles, it was executive at large that was left here. Yeah. But, but I kind oh, of liked right, the sound of it, so I was very happy with that. And knowing some of the people on the board, I can, yeah, that's definitely their style of humor for sure. <laughs> so um, what have you been working on um, during your tenure? Is tenure the right Ten, word? Tenure, yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah. I've been, uh, a couple of major projects. <clears throat> I've written a guide to peer conferences um, called Peers Exchanging Ideas. And I think if you're thinking about setting up a peer conference, uh, modesty aside, I think that's a pretty good resource. It comes from my own experiences and the experiences of lots of other people I've spoken to about peer conferences. Uh, and there's the kinds of considerations that you're going to need before you run your own and some checklists to help you to do that. Uh, so that's yeah. available now. And um, again, we'll, we'll give a link to that in the, in the show notes. The thing I've been working on most recently is trying to help the organization decide what we consider our value to be and how we can communicate that better. When the AST was founded, um, it was it was the, kind of the only organization apart from uh, ISTQB around at the time, and it was quite easy to differentiate it. And the CAST conference that we run um, was, again, pretty lone amongst uh, testing conferences. But these days, people like uh, Ministry of Testing and Agile Testing Days, and you know, there's just loads of testing conferences out there. And I don't think um, with the best will in the world, I don't think we distinguish ourselves um, from right. other people. I don't want to make it sound like a competition. You know, we're, we're friendly with Ministry of Testing. You know, I'm sure you wouldn't have invited me on the podcast uh, if you had something against us. Um, it, it's, right. I don't want to make it sound like a competition, but I do think we could differentiate ourselves more strongly. And so I've been looking into that. Yeah, and it's not as if it's just um, one organization needs to carry the torch for good testing, you know, working closely together and helping each other out and these sort of things, I think, is massively vital. And also, like, I think one of the interesting things is looking at the the board um, recently is, is that it has become much more international, whereas I think originally AST was probably more a, a US-based entity. So when you're facing those challenges on an international level it's a slightly different context compared to uh looking at maybe some stuff that's more occurring in your own front door as well so it's sort of working out that space there as well i guess yeah i think that's right yeah well i mean i've had the pleasure to attend um cast 
I think I think I've only managed to attend one, um, the one in Vancouver a few years back, and it was that was fantastic. It was you know, definitely one of the one of my top conferences to attend to, and there was you know not just for the, for the people, but the, like the content there as well. There's a there was some talks that even to this day still resonate with me and inform me in the stuff that I'm talking about. So, yeah, you know, I definitely think that there's a lot of value for people to to attend CAST and to support AST um, going forward as well. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. So talking about the peer conferences in general, I mean, obviously, you know, we're recording this, we're into week 6,452 of lockdown, it feels like. Um Things like, well, we've seen the same thing with all our meetups as well. A lot of that stuff has had to just sort of be frozen. Have you have you thought about ways in which people can handle sort of peer conferences like online or is it their alternatives to sort of share these ideas that you've sort of been sort of reflecting on? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so far, I haven't tried to change the peer conference guide to accommodate uh non-physical uh, conferences but it's something that i am thinking about i've been um, looking at um, apps that can help you capture some of that uh, side conversation so you know things things like um, uh, zoom everyone in the same room together it's difficult to have a side conversation the breakouts don't don't feel that natural you can't overhear somebody very easily that that kind of thing and i came across one today yeah. called gather which looks kind of interesting and, and i think um you had something similar uh, for your uh, first online test bash some kind of um, game-like environment where people could group together uh yes yes the I, I still to this day don't actually know what it originally what the actual code base was but it was taken from a um what's the best way to say like a video game museum sort of video game hub place in the states and yeah they built this like uh, this very light version of a multiplayer game online that you could go in and walk around and stuff so we we saw that we thought that was very cool and um we changed all the graphics and stuff to look at uh to, to, to be all test bash themed but yeah it worked really well actually like when i was a bit scared when i first turned it on because we had something like uh 500 600 attendees so opening up something that hadn't been performance tested at all uh, to all those people but it but it stood up but it did give a little bit of that feel of knowing that there were people in the room and stuff so yeah so, so what's i uh, like what does the gather app offer that you think is of interest um it's a top-down view onto a map that the organizers define and so I don't know if you remember the arcade game Gauntlet. You kind of look down on yes. top and you can roam around. It, it, it looks a little bit like that. And as you oh. as you get your avatar or your character close enough to somebody else, they pop up. Uh, their screens oh, okay. become visible and you can wander away and come, go into another group. Uh, and oh, that, wow. that, looks, that looks really interesting. Uh, I haven't, haven't tried it yet. I've just been casting around looking for what kind of things might be interesting in that sort of context. Ooh, definitely have to have a look at that for maybe future test bash onlines uh, that are coming up in, later in the year as well. I'll do that as so I write a post-it note to tell me to look at that later. Excellent. Cool. Well, you know, always useful to get new tools and toys to, to play with. Um, I'll put a link in as well so people can have a look. Um, we should probably uh, move on and talk about your next song pick. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that one? 
Okay, a different style again. This one is Jerry Reed, the song's Thank You Girl, and the album is When You're Hot, You're Hot. Um, this record was played at my wedding. So um, when we got married, we had three songs that we chose for uh, what we were signing the um, uh, the wedding book and the certificates and that. And it was this one, Cause I Love You by Slade and I Walked the Line by Johnny Cash. So I said there was all kind of emotional content for me in all the records today. This is, this is you know, um, really important day in my life. And if I could have mm-hmm. chose all three of them songs, um, then I would have done. And if the editor can squeeze in the other two in some kind of little medley, <laughs> I'd be delighted. <laughs> um I, I don't know. That feels like that's breaking the parameters of the <laughs> island. It may cause structural shifts. I was born to be a loner until your love took me and made me over. That was Thank You Girl by Jerry Reed. So I believe you gave a talk recently for online test conference um, called How to Test Anything, which is, you know, not broad at all. Um, it's not modest was... at all either, is it? No, no, it's, no, it's not like, yeah, give me anything and I shall test it. Um, is, is the next sort of iteration how to test anything whilst blindfolded? Um, so what happened was... Um, the uh, the organisers uh, asked if I wanted to uh, to do a talk, and uh, I pitched out to test anything because the t- the title sounded great. Um, you know, it was, it was very easy to send that title off, <laughs> but then when I came to write it, I had a bit of a crisis of confidence that um, people might think I was some kind of massive ego uh, test or something. <laughs> and but re- really, what it was about was things that I do that I think are useful, independent of the context that I'm in. And that, that it's just that's just not a very snappy title, is it? No, no, it, it it doesn't ring as well. So, so is it sort of general patterns of behaviour, testing techniques, bit uh, of both? It's a, there's uh, three things I covered actually. Um, what testing is for me? Um, what kind of tools that I use? Just some examples of sort of tools that I use to help me to test. And by tools, I don't necessarily mean software libraries. I mean mental tools and that kind of thing too. And then how to start testing. The kind of conceits that I had was no testing is going to get done if you don't know what testing is because you can't convince me that you're testing if you don't know what it is. Um, that uh, if you haven't got ways to do the testing, given that you know what it is, there won't be any testing. And if you don't begin, nothing gets tested. So I, I broke the talk into those three sections. So that third part has been really coming up a lot for me lately about that sort of, that activity of you kind of got to start somewhere. You got to sort of dive in and um, really sort of kind of immerse yourself and almost almost let it overwhelm you before you can then take that step back again and start being a bit more sort of structured or targeted in your approach. I think I even ended up talking about it in the previous podcast as well. Is that, is that kind of what you're suggesting? That sort of idea of like James Bart calls it like spelunking. Um, not, not necessarily. It could, it could be an approach. Um, my heuristic for um, how to start is begin where you are. It's from how to be an explorer of the world by Kerry Smith, which is a book that implores you to take more interest in your surroundings 
and I think that's something that uh, is really useful to do as a tester. So begin where you are. You know, the the right time to start testing probably is now. And so hmm. it might not be the ideal time. You maybe you haven't got a build yet. Okay, what can you do to add value to the project? Look, look for that. Look, maybe it's look for the highest areas of risk. And at the moment, there isn't. There's just just an idea in somebody's head. So there's lots of potential for risk, or, hmm. or whatever. And spelunking definitely could be an approach, depending on what you've got in front of you and the context. But it might not be the right approach. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, they almost sounds like they're kind of. Uh, sort of opposites but still trying to achieve the same thing of you're being a bit maybe a bit more deliberate about observing what's in front of you and then taking those next steps but you have to sort of almost um intentionally observe it's not just sort of just follow your gut it's a case of well let's actually look at what's in front of me make those choices whereas like i said this sort of spelunking approach is a bit sort of following your gut just go for it see what happens and then come back and reflect which i think sometimes that gets forgotten that reflection point because otherwise it it loses its value if you've just done some stuff and then just forget about it oh yeah absolutely i think uh, the word intent i think is really important and um, for me the probably isn't testing if you don't have intent to test and so mm. spelunking is a is a tactic for testing um, I don't know much about this application, so I'm going to spend two hours just wandering around it. I'm not going to try and exercise it in complicated ways. I'm not going to try and trip it up. I just want to understand what it does. And then I'm going to stop yeah. and, as you say, reflect and decide where I'm going to begin. So you intended yeah. to do that kind of activity. Yes. Yes, I guess you can't ever really truly just be in a random sort of state or a sort of purely impulsive thing uh, no, but, but you mem- could you could just drift into doing stuff without thinking about it and that, that's the point mm. i'm really making um you can intend to drift around but if you just drift around without any intent yeah. probably you're not testing cool so yeah it sounds like a really interesting talk um you said you'll be able to share a, a link um, for the notes so i think i'm gonna give that uh, a look myself because I, I definitely want to sort of see more about your ideas around like that yeah that sort of intended place to start because i think like say for a lot of testers who are maybe starting out in exploratory testing that's the biggest like most overwhelming point is the the starting once they've actually sort of made those first initial steps um they kind of get into the groove but it's getting them into that place in the in the first place uh, yeah, it's actually, uh, there are some notes on my blog already but there's um there's videos uh, of all the talks from the conference as well Lovely. Cool. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about speaking in general, because you kind of ex- explored something that I've wanted to explore before, in the, uh, but just haven't really had the time to do. But before that, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, song number four? All right. This one is Pram and the track's Cumulus. It's on a red vinyl 12-inch on 2Pure. Um, why this one? Well, uh, there's two reasons why this one means something to me, actually. Um, years ago, I was uh, doing a degree, and the the last term, so kind of two or three months, was project work. So, I mean, obviously, I still cared very deeply about my project and uh, worked really hard on it. But me and two mates made a film in those three months, and it was a future um, future fear sort of techno fear black and white film shot on Super 8. And uh, my mate's camera had no sound on it. So we, we filmed this thing with all these old computers we'd got from the engineering department. And um, then we edited it all. And it was, 
in, in our flat for several weeks, there was all these little bits of Super 8 film hanging up from washing lines and stuff. It was really old school. You know, we'd got a splicing machine and everything. So we eventually edited this film together. It's about 15 minutes. We transferred it to um, VHS, and then we had to put a soundtrack on it. And because I was DJing, I had some sound equipment. So it was my job to dub the sound on. I actually also had a video player, a video recorder you could dub with. So it was my job to dub a soundtrack onto this thing. So I ended up with maybe three or four cassette decks. And I'd got all the sound effects on audio cassettes wound back to just the right place. And I'd got a DJ mixer and all these cassette recorders fed into the <laughs> DJ mixer. And a DJ mixer went into the video recorder. And I essentially live mixed the soundtrack. And the music that I used predominantly was this track by Pram. Um, it's really atmospheric, and uh, again, you know, it just it brings tingles out to me when I when I when I hear it. Uh, the second reason, uh, and I'd, I've got no idea how this came about, was me and my two daughters, when they were much younger, um, used to play this game around our living room. We'd put this track on, and we would do Follow the Leader. Uh, but it was weird, follow the leader. You had to do the most bizarre moves that you possibly could while the others tried to copy it as we ran around the living room. That was Cumulus by Pram. So we talked about um, speaking. And I, I, as I say, we've not obviously not really had the opportunity to speak to one another much, but I, I'm very much aware of you because you are someone who has given many talks. Um, so I was quite surprised when we were sort of talking about things that we wanted to discuss. You, you sort of, you wanted to talk about this idea of like overcoming nerves as a speaker, because I wouldn't have thought of you as someone who would have that really. So, so was this something like when you first started out that you had the nerves or is it something that built up over time? Actually, it was before I did any speaking at all. I only really right. started doing conference talks as a challenge to myself to get over the nerves. Hmm. Um, so um, I've got no idea why it became a problem for me, um, but it was. And it became a problem even at work. So standing in the kitchen to say goodbye to a colleague, you know, I'd have to say a few words when they left. That became a major mm. ordeal for me. Or oh, wow. even sometimes standing up in meetings to speak be became a real problem. And uh, there was one particular occasion after I'd done a leaving uh, speech for somebody, I kind of walked back to my desk and I thought, that, that's it. You know, I've got to get over this because it, it's, you know, it's, there's just no reason for it. Mm. I'm capable of doing that. Why can't I do it? So I said, okay, I'm going to, um, submit to testing conferences. I'm going to do a testing conference and that's the way I'm going to get over it. And Eurostar, the call for Eurostar 2015 was out. So I wrote a proposal and, and I submitted it and um, I got accepted. And obviously that just kind of amped up the, <laughs> the, the feeling of uh, nerves. Um, uh, luckily around that time, um, Speakeasy, then, and it's now called Tech Voices, had started. And that was a, a scheme for linking up um, people who wanted to give talks but were inexperienced with mentors. So I signed up for that. And James Lindsay uh, was um, was my mentor. 
and we, we started talking about what my problem was and all those kind of things and he suggested a, a, a few things for me to try and then he suggested I go to Toastmasters and Toastmasters mm. is a speaking organization you just kind of turn up every couple of weeks and, and, and do talks of, of various kinds and I went to that for a year um, probably just a bit less before Eurostar and that, that made a massive difference to me. So Toastmasters is interesting. It's something I've wanted to do f- for quite a while myself because um, I, I don't necessarily suffer f- from nerves like like what you've sort of shared, um, although you certainly feel the adrenaline kick before like speaking. But one of the challenges I have, um, and it's very difficult running a podcast sometimes, is that um, trying to organize your thoughts. So it's been joked in the past that some people like watching me on stage because I end up having a conversation with myself on stage because I'm sort of saying yes, no, uh, but this, uh, no. So I'm curious, like, so obviously Toastmasters helps with the nerves and stuff, but does it also help in terms of basically being clearer with what you want to say, but not necessarily in a way that it's just you're reciting a script. Uh, Yeah, it does. Uh, So there's a couple of things I got from Toastmasters. Uh, There's some basic stuff on um, just how to be a better speaker in terms of structuring your talk. And then some things about how to present yourself better, like giving yourself a chance to pause, definitely pause, Mm. add some vocal variety, move your arms about and stuff like that, that you can concentrate on in the activity of doing the talk can help you to, not worry about the talk itself so much, I found. Um, yeah. uh, the fact that you're regularly speaking takes away some of the um, the nerves about it because you've done it before. At least this is this is all my experience. But the, mm. the single biggest thing for me uh, was a discovery that I made a few months in, which was I didn't mind being nervous so much if I felt that I was me when I was talking. And I think... Yeah. To some extent, I'd been presenting a front, trying to be a good speaker or something, but it didn't feel like me. Uh, and when yeah. I started feeling like me, um, although I was still nervous, that felt like a really big leap forward for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I think some of the more, some of the talks that I felt most comfortable giving is like, I guess that's the word, isn't it? It was comfortable. It's just, you sort of felt up and felt that I was up there and just being sort of quite casual with it and sort of sharing a story rather than sometimes I, sometimes I equate it to it being like a verbal essay and I hate writing essays. So I, you know, the idea of giving verbal ones is, is, is quite hard as well, but that, yeah, finding, finding your voice, finding your style and then kind of almost, being okay with the it, that's your style and just accepting that um i think yeah it's something that uh can be really powerful oh uh, yeah so i'm at the point now where i'm not like desperate to give loads of talks or anything I'm, I'm certainly not writing a talk a year and trying to tour it around all the conferences but i am trying mm. to speak regularly so i don't lose what i've gained so yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do a talk a year or something and i use that as a kind of driver for myself to to dig into something that I'm interested in. So um, how to test anything was really pulling together loads of threads that I'd thought about into one coherent whole. Yeah. And I think that nicely ties back to what we've been talking about around peer conferences as well, because I think like I, I think about my first ever time I ever gave a talk that was at a peer conference and that was in front of 12 people. That was, that was nerve wracking, but in hindsight, I'm glad I did that. That was my first time rather than being on stage in front of a hundred or 200 people, because there's that added pressure there. 
So I guess what I'm saying really to sort of help conclude this is that uh, everyone should attend peer conferences or, you know, if there isn't one set up locally, you should definitely set up one because they can be a really useful place to, to practice speaking as well as learning awesome stuff as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't paid by James to say that at all. Um, <laughs> although I will just give you my bank details at the end of this podcast if you, if you want. Offline, of course. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, I, I feel that's uh, a good point for us to sort of talk about your final song and then we'll, we'll get on to your book pick. So first of all, uh, what's your final song going to be on the island? Um, having said I'm not an egotist, uh, the final song is one of my own. Uh, it's not really, <laughs> it's not, not, not really a song, no. There's, there's, there's no words and I, I'm terrible at singing, so you should be thankful. Uh, so this mm. is me as the guy who invented fire. Uh, the track is Glow, and uh, this is from an EP I released on an American label called Intellectos called I Didn't Get Where I Am Today. Uh, why this one? Um, why does this give me that kind of emotional lift? Uh, it's because I, I, used to, I used to play in bands, and I, I did a few different music projects, but this, this is a solo one. And I used to use a really quite basic sequencing software called um, a tracker. Was, they're quite big on the Amiga and the ST scene years ago. But I was using them kind of quite late. Um, just because I, I enjoyed them. They're kind of four or eight tracks, typically eight-bit samples. I really like that sort of gritty uh, sound. Uh, anyway, uh, this one was one of the, the tracks I'm most proud of that I made. And it was a bit of a breakthrough for me. I would program uh, a backing sequence and then play over the top of it for a long time and then edit out just the bits that I liked. And this was the first time that I'd done it. And it turned out, at least for me, really well it kind of made me really excited and in retrospect i see that i'd kind of discovered that curation can be a creative activity it's not it's not necessarily the playing but the curating of material can itself be a creative act and that's mm. a, an interesting parallel now with management um, i can get some kind of satisfaction from management it's not as good as doing a testing i still like testing a lot and i still do test but as a manager i can be one step removed from the actual work and still find some satisfaction by the way i arrange for work to be done or for impediments to be removed or for people to get the skills that they need those kind of things <laughs> So that was Glow by the guy who invented fire, which, uh, you know, I should feel like it's a, a privilege that I'm speaking to the man who invented fire. Well done. You should have patented it. You'd have made a lot of money on it. Um, terrible joke. I apologize. <laughs> uh, it's actually uh, taken from a, a B-side of a shellac record uh, called uh, The Rude Gesture of Pictorial History. I would have liked to have played that, but you only give me five songs. I know. It's, I'm so, so unbelievably obstinate when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, I blame Neil. He, he's the one who set five. Um, I just follow, I follow in his footsteps as always. Okay. So um, thank you for being on the podcast. I think this has been a really interesting conversation and it's, if anything, just kind of reflecting on my own experiences of working with peer conferences, it's really, and peer workshops, um, it's really made me want to, to get back into them and take advantage of them. 
because I, I think some of the some of the best conversations I've had actually around testing have been in those sort of places. So, and there's certainly not one up in Norfolk. So, who knows? Maybe I can convince a few people to come up this way. Um, Newt we'll to the beach. Newt, yeah. I think there's already a Newt though. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure. But there's, north, well, there's north, northwest, isn't northwest. it? Yeah. yeah. So, Newt's not taken. Quick form it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, I shall do that now. Um, but really, like all that's left to do now is um, for you to share your book that you're going to take the island. Um, so, which which book is it going to be? Well, it, it, it's a question for you. Is everybody else on this island, and can I read their books? Um, yeah. So, we we have a problem here, don't we? Because we it's not really a a deserted island if you've got i mean we're on episode 38 we've got a couple of specials and ex-hosts so we've got what like nearly 40 people on the island that doesn't really feel very deserted um also i imagine it'd be quite a cacophonous racket everyone playing their songs at the same time so i think what we're going to say is no uh, but there is now a concept of like um, the multiverse theory for desert islands, for desert, <laughs> desert islands. <laughs> so, All right, uh, so, so I'm, I'm on my solo island. Um, I thought hard yes. about this one. Um, I actually wrote a book for the Ministry of Testing called When Support Calls. It, it's um, a series of articles on the on the Pro Dojo, but we, we turned it into an ebook. Uh, I did that with Chris George and Neil Younger, and it's about testing and tech support. And I told my daughters that I was going to be. Um, be on the show and I've got to choose a book uh, and they said well you wrote a book dad but don't take that one uh, not that I'd want to I don't I never want to see it again having wrote a book I, I never want to read it again um, then I wondered about uh, taking something so boring that I'd never want to read it to kind of force me to be out about looking to find out what I could do around the uh, around the island you know making, yeah. being creative on the island um, and I, the best I could come up with for that would be some kind of ghost-written celebrity memoir or something. I thought I didn't really want to do that. (laughs) So anyway, so I I have decided. The book I'm going to take is by Ron Jeffries, and it's called Extreme Programming Adventures in C-Sharp. And uh, the reason I'm going to take that one is it's one of the best technical books I've ever read. Uh, it's uh, Ron, Ron Jeffries, if you're not familiar with him, is a big proponent of um, TDD. He was one of the signatories on the Agile Manifesto. And uh, he, he blogs uh, frequently. But this particular book is using TDD and extreme programming to create an application in C-sharp. Now, I don't, I don't code in C-sharp, and there's lots of code in this book. I just skipped over all of it. What I really like about it is how he describes his thought process and the mistakes mm. that he made while he was developing the application and the way he's going to create tests and then how he backtracks and how he, um, how he stops every now and again and reflects. And it's a, it's a brilliant guide to someone doing something creative with a goal in mind, but not with a step-by-step plan. And uh, right now, as we record, he's, he's in the middle of doing a series on his, blogs, on his blog about building asteroids in Lua, and he's got exactly the same flavor. I'm skipping over all the code. Uh, beyond every now and again, just out of interest, looking to see how the code's structured and that. It's all about the way that he explains what he's doing and why. And it's great. I'm also assuming that in whatever accident stranded me on this island, I managed to salvage a solar-powered laptop with a C-sharp compiler on it so I can learn C-sharp. <laughs> yes, but you don't have access to uh, Stack Overflow. <laughs> There's no internet. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you certainly will have your work cut out for you um, with, with, with that uh, 
like just getting anything to work in C sharp as far as I'm concerned, but that's just my uh, my Java bias kicking in there. Um, James, it's been a real pleasure having you on and talking about, like I say, all this sort of peer conference stuff and uh, the bits in general. I promise I will come to acute, and when I say like I'm actually coming, I will come. I, I assure you, it's it's nothing personal. I, I don't keep just cancelling on you. Um, I'm just generally disorganised in life. Yep. Okay, I can believe that after last week. Uh, well, yes, this is our second attempt um, of recording this podcast because the first one we got, what, five minutes in? That's and right, then yeah. um, I had a four-hour power cut. So I'm going to claim that's not my fault. Yeah, that's, that's, fair, that's fair. It wasn't me who was licking the power lines. Um, well, so um, all of the songs will be added to our um, Test Design and Discs Spotify playlist. Um Although I guess we is, is is your track on Spotify? Uh, it is not. Uh, but is I've, not, sent you, so... I've sent you an MP3. Um, we can, I can publish that somewhere. Excellent. Yeah, we'll we'll drop a link to that in the the show notes. Um, and your book will be added to our Goodreads list. So to finish up, like, do you have any upcoming events um, that you want to share? Always feels a bit silly asking this given the current situation, but uh, yeah, are you presenting? Got anything going on at the moment? Uh, simple answer is no. So simple answer is no, nothing. Um, I've just published a, an interesting project with uh, Lena Weiberg, also on the board of the AST. Um, she uh, asked for on Twitter for people who would write a pair blog post with her. Um, so I, I signed up for that. That sounded interesting. And she asked me to propose a topic and I said, testing skills that I use in management. So we each wrote on that topic by a given date. So it was a kind of constraint uh, based uh, challenge. Uh, and then we each commented on each other's blog and posted them at the same time. So that was really interesting, but I don't have anything else coming up. Brilliant. And um, I'll obviously share blog posts. Um Twitter links and all that sort of stuff. So everyone else can enjoy your puns um, on Twitter uh, in the notes as well. So uh, that's it for this podcast. Um, it's not really much else to sort of add other than to say that uh, back soon with another recording. But for now, it's uh, goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from James. Yep, cheers. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Mark Winteringham. Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. And thanks again to Browser Stack for sponsoring our podcast. 